Let's start with prayer. God, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. Take our hearts and set them on fire with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, this passage in chapter 16 of Acts really emphasizes the sovereignty of God. And God's gospel will go out and spread as sure as the sun rises in the morning. Do you see the sunrise this morning? It was very pretty, very pink. And we don't even think twice about the sun coming up. I mean, at the end, it, it won't and things will happen. But for now, the sun's going to come up. And we can chart its course in the sky. And we, and we don't question it. We don't go to bed at night thinking, oh, my gosh, will God remember to let the sun come up in the morning? And yet that kind of faith that we have in the sun coming up should be the same kind of faith we have that he's got us in the palm of his hand and everything that happens to us is for his glory. We have to really grab hold of this. So as we look at chapter 16, we pick it up knowing that Paul is wanting to go back and strengthen churches and revisit them from last week. Um, and he decided to do that. He's going to go with Silas. Paul come, came a lot also to Derby and to Lystra. So Derby and Lystra, if you look back on where we already know about them, in 14, he was in these two cities. And in Derby, he had great success. But in Lystra, that's where the crowd attempted to honor Paul and Barnabas as pagan gods, remember? And then they chased him out of town wanting to stone them. They did stone them, right? So that wasn't really a good thing. But at this town, there were some people there. One of these people that was there at the time was a young man named Timothy. So it's been about five years, and he's going back through. So Timothy was there, probably witnessed the, the courage, the wisdom um, that Paul uh, demonstrated at this difficult time, and it made an impact on him. And so when Paul met him, he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have Timothy accompany them. And he took him and he had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places. They knew that his father was a Greek. Now, we can all scratch our heads and say, how do they know if they're circumcised or not? You know, you have to think back. In those, not think back, we have to realize that in those days, public baths and stuff were pretty common. So everyone knew what was going on pretty much with that stuff. Um, and because they knew that Timothy was uncircumcised because of his father, Paul decided to circumcise him, not to be a legalistic keeping of the law, but because he loved the people he was going to serve and he didn't want to cause anything to stumble. And it would have been disgraceful for Timothy if he was a non-circumcised man from a Jewish mother. 
So because of that, he did not want to hinder any of the work that they were going to do among the Jews at the synagogues. It was just for a love of the the people and to just make life easier for them. So in verse 4, they go on their way through these cities and they are delivering to the people in the cities the decision that was made from last week's study in chapter 15. Um, And what that decision was, was that the Gentile believers did not have to come under the the law of Moses or be converted to Judaism or keep all the feasts or all that kind of stuff. All they really had to do was pretty much simple, um, you know, abstain from uh, stuff that's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things that have been strangled and from being sexual immoral. Um, It's pretty simple. So he was sharing all this with these new Gentile believers that you didn't have to become, you know, Jewish and be under the thumb of the Pharisees and stuff. So there was great joy, and the churches were strengthened. That was his goal in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. That's pretty awesome. Daily it was going on. It was wild fire spreading of the gospel then. Boy, it would be nice if we saw that today. So the sovereign God, who's in charge of all things, he is moving forward with his plan, and these people, the gospel is spreading, and his church is growing. And he's guiding them along the way. It's not just a um, robotic thing, wind up, give your instructions, this is what you're going to do today. He, he, he guides us through his spirit and directs us and gives us desires, and sometimes he does things to close doors. And so let's take a look at all of that. Because it says in verse 6, they went through the region of Figura and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go into the, toward Ephesus, into the Roman providence of the Asia Minor, okay? He was doing things, I mean, eventually the gospel would go there, but it wasn't at that time they were delayed. How we, they knew that, we don't know, but they got the message somehow that some, they weren't supposed to go there. So then they attempt in verse 7, they had come up to Mysia and they attempted to go to Bithia, Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Okay, this is like Paul's third choice to go there. But eventually, they got maneuvered around into doing this. Sometimes, I think many times, um, it depends on what kind of personality we have. Sometimes God nudges us to, to move, and sometimes God has got to slow us back and redirect our paths, and he uses hindrances. Paul's desire to go to these places was not wrong. Okay, but God's going to close doors just as easy as he's going to open doors. He's going to give you red lights. He's going to give you green lights. He's going to guide you. And look at through history, other great missionaries like David Livingston, he wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India. And if we look back on our lives, we can probably see the hand of God, how he's guided us, how we wanted to either buy this house, but God 
had us buy this house, or we were going to move there and God moved us here, or I was supposed to have three kids and I didn't have any kids. Or We just kind of look at all the things, all the ways God is constant. He's sovereign. His hand is in every single thing. And if his hand is in every single, single thing, we have to have a sense of being at rest in that and to be grateful with that too, but we'll get more into that. So in chapter, uh, in verse 9, God is directing them now with a big green light. And he wants to make it very clear to them through a vision um, that Paul had, seeing a man in Macedonia standing there urging him and saying, come over here to help us, come over here. And when Paul got that vision, he immediately responded to it. So that was a very clear, this is where you're supposed to go. Um, Why did it have to be so clear? Well, because where God was sending him was a pretty big deal. Paul was thinking, okay, maybe we are just going to do a couple cities around here in this region and whatever like that. That was kind of doing everything's on foot, reachable and everything. And God is taking him to another continent. He's going to journey from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe now with this trip. And so he immediately responds to that. And the help as he is bringing them is the life-changing gospel of Jesus. Now, one of the questions in our book was noticing the pronouns changed, right? Why are we using we now? Up to this point, Luke has been writing they and them. From here on out, it's we and us. Paul is now writing inclusively. He is now part of their group. Could it be? Could it be that God had them go to Troas to pick up a doctor? Because if we really pay attention from a medical standpoint, what is going on in Paul's life, that man needs a full-time doctor. You really think about it, right? You know, I have screws in my knee. Um, but if I didn't have screws in my knee, I probably wouldn't be able to walk or, or who knows what would be going on. But but this guy's been stoned several times. I mean, hard life, walking. I mean, it, it, when you get stoned, I can't even imagine what kind of busted bones and bruises you got that you kind of put up with it and the arthritis that comes in after that. Do we ever hear him complain? Thorn in the side, whatever that meant, right? So here we have his own personal physician to kind of attend to him along the way. God is sovereign. He knows exactly what's going on. And not only do they get a full-time physician to go with them, but they, we get the written word of God in the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. What a beautiful thing. God's sovereignty. Just by saying, no, don't go here, and I want you to go here, and just how everything just kind of opens up. His sovereignty is not just limited to regions. It goes over continents. It's the entire world, okay? So in verse 11, they set sail from Troas, and we made a direct voyage to Samanthrius, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. So that is an interesting 
nautical term when it says direct voyage or straight course, which meant that it is an expression for they had the wind at their backs. It was perfect winds, and they sailed 156 miles in just two days. God is on a timetable. He's having them arrive at a certain time to meet a certain group of people, and he's in charge of all this stuff. Two days it took them to go 156 miles. When we get to Acts 20, we're going to find out in verse 6 that on their return trip, it's going to take them five days. And he's directing that little ship to go where it needed to go. God's sovereignty and his hand is in all these things. And they go and they land in Philippi. Philippi was a very important city. It was a place where the armies of Mark Antony and Octavia defeated Brutus. It was a very decisive battle for Rome during the Civil War in 42 B.C. And because of that war and the battle that was fought there and the people that came, many of the Roman soldiers retired in that area. God had a plan. He wanted Paul to go there and plant seeds for a church there. And so his direction, his sovereignty is continuing. Uh, In verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate. They left the city to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So why, what brought them there? Why are they doing? Well, as we know up to this point, Paul had a, had a habit, had a routine of when he got to a city, he would go to the synagogue and he would talk, speak to the Jews because there, that was like an open conversation where teaching was taught and listening to people and, and conversation and whatever. But they didn't have a synagogue in Philippi. Why didn't they have a synagogue in Philippi? Because they didn't have enough believing, they didn't have enough Jewish men. They had a group of Jewish women. It takes 10, at least 10 men to constitute a synagogue. And no number of women could have pulled that off back in that day. So the women were there, not enough Jewish men, take an interest, whatever, to do this. And so the women congregated down by the river and prayed. And who is down there with them in verse 14? A woman named Lydia. And she was from Thyatira. You don't know how many times I practice these at home, and then I get up here and I just get tongue twisted. Well, maybe you do know. You know, okay. Thyatira. <laughs> um. And she sold purple goods, and she was a worshiper of God. Um, And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying, the sovereignty of God. And she was baptized, and her household um, uh, was baptized, and she was urged them to say and come and be, come into her home and be hospitable. And she was just, it was a beautiful thing what happened with Lydia here. So she is... A woman, the first convert in Europe. Ah, pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. But I also think it, Satan used that opportunity to cause problems. Because if we go forward to Revelation 2, we can see that this church... Thyatira, Thyatira is mentioned as one of the seven churches in Revelation. And it goes on to say, 
to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like brownish bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance, and that your lighter works exceed even the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. So, I don't know. I might be jumping to a conclusion here, but I'm thinking the first woman convert, which is a good thing. That's a good thing. But Satan got in there and somehow twisted that up and got a strand of people off, off target and started having the sexual immorality and stuff happen in that, in that little church. And it just represents other churches. goes on to say in chapter 2 of Revelation in verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. So I say to you, do not lay on you any other burden, but hold fast what you have come, what you have until I come. Where have we heard that phrase? Do not lay upon them any other burden. Didn't we just see that phrase last week in chapter 15 where they were debating about whether the, Jew, the Gentile believers needed to take on all of the um, feasts and, and, and the Jewish rituals and everything like that? And they decided, no, do not, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit that, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these required. I don't know, that kind of just jumped out at me, like the sovereignty of God in the span of things really knows what's going on. So, anyways, they meet up with Lydia, and it's a beautiful thing. They have fellowship. Um, You know, her heart was waiting just for the timing of all this stuff, and God had a timetable. If if he would have gone someplace else, you know, to fill... It would have been, you know, not as timing wouldn't have worked out. So open doors, closed doors happen like that. The sovereignty of God. And we also know from studying Acts that every time the gospel goes out, what's going to happen? Opposition, right? We're going to get pushback. So they're going to get pushback here also. Because in verse 16, many people were not happy about this Next thing that's going to happen. There was a a place um, of prayer that they would go to then because there was no synagogue. And they were on their way there one day. And they meet a slave girl who's got a spirit of divination. um, Fortune teller, okay? And she's tagging along with them and she's crying out. And she's acknowledging who they are, the people, uh, servants of the Most High God. And she kept doing this for many, 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 many days. This little servant girl... It's just a hapless tool of Satan. It's really sad. In that day, the Greeks and the Romans, they did not make important decisions about things. Uh, Rulers didn't make important decisions about the people. Um, The military didn't make important decisions about war things unless they got the advice of a fortune teller. That was just what they did. It was all right. Did you check with the fortune teller today? Yeah. Which one did you check in on? The one down on the street on the corner. I mean, this was big business that they were doing this. So she was a very valuable commodity here. Here is an attempt for Satan to infiltrate God's church with a evil inlet. Okay? Because what was she doing? She was speaking the truth. 
She was speaking the truth. And we know Satan knows the truth. He knows this. He knows this. Um, this girl was following them. She was hanging out with them. And it went on for several days and everything like that. You know the verse that talks about tares among the wheat, right? So Satan's trying to get his tear in there in the wheat and everything, okay? When we think about it, if we've lived in, in churches and been inside many churches, whatever, we know that there's a lot of diabolical things that happen in the name of Jesus. Very damaging. I think more damaging than if, if a person is never exposed to church. But I don't know how many people I've run across that have don't go to church or whatever because of what has happened to them in a body of believers. Body of believers. So, here's Satan trying to get in there. But we know that evil is so irritating. Evil is so irritating. And this girl is after it. And at, finally, at one point, Paul is fed up with this. Just fed up. When we know from Mark 1.34, Jesus got fed up with it too. Because he tells who was ever following him back then. Jesus does the same thing in Mark four. 134, these demons that are going around, he cast them out, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He, he slammed them down. He didn't, he didn't want the praise of demons. And so it had already been role modeled to Paul what Jesus would do. And so what does he do? He turns around, and his apostolic authority, he casts out this demon. Okay, now I'm going to spend a moment and talk about this. Because we don't do this anymore, okay? This was an apostolic, I believe, an apostolic privilege that the apostles had, okay? Today, we are given the ability to, to combat in spiritual warfare by Galatians with, the, with Ephesians, the armor of God, okay? And I have personally been in enough situations where I have dealt with demonic people, I can shut them down, but I'm not going to cast anybody out. One reason is the person who they're in invited them in, and they're the one who's going to have to deal with it in their own thing, okay? So we go on, we see these things on TV, and they're casting out demons and everything like that. Showmanship. You've got to be careful when you're dealing with evil. You're, 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 you're deviling into something that you don't need to do. God tells us how to do. We stand firm in the word of God, and we stay focused on Jesus Christ, okay? And we stay holy, and he fights those battles for us. How many times is stand, 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 stand in that verse? It is stand, okay? Satan's got way too much attention these days, right? Our youth are just way too enamored with it. And why is that? Because he wants to draw them in, okay? So we really don't need to do any of that. And if any of you have any more questions about that, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But I personally believe that to cast out demons, um, you're asking for trouble. Even in the name of you're just you, we just kind of don't do that. Now, there's going to be plenty out there that disagree with me, okay? And that's why I'm couching it like this. My personal experience... Um, and how God has folded it, how we, how we fight the battles is laid out in here now. Anyways, this girl is set free, um, and she goes on her merry way, because the sovereignty of God is sovereign even over the realms of evil. Okay? All right, we got a problem here now, don't we? 
Not everyone's really happy that this young lady got um, delivered from this who knows what was living inside of her. I mean, just horrid. Um, I mean, they didn't treat her well. So, so they lost their income, and they're pretty ticked off by all this kind of stuff. And so they seize Paul and Silas, and they drag them into the marketplace, um, and they bring them before the leaders and say, these people are disturbing our city. They're, they're advocating for customs that are unlawful um, for us to, as Romans, to, to abide by. So, which is true, because the people could not... Um, they were forbidden to practice any foreign religion that had not been approved by the state. And this was Christianity, and that hadn't been approved by the state. So it was a legitimate concern that these people had. I mean, the motive behind it was, you know, they were kind of lost and crazy anyways. But So they were brought before um, and arrested, okay? In 22, it's interesting how the crowd just joins in. The crowd... <laughs> The mindless crowd, the mob mentality took over, the group think, whatever you want to call it today. There's a whole psychology on it, you know, how people just want to feel like, they don't want to feel like an outcast, and they don't want to feel like they want to keep with their friends, and so they easily bend their, their morals and their, change their, you know, whatever their thinking is to kind of go along with the crowd because they don't want, they want to be accepted, and it takes a strong person to make a stand for the right thing. But in the power of God, we can do it, to stand, to stand. So the crowd is there. They're all joined in, and they're all kind of, you know, you know, take them, yeah, whatever, everything. They're stripped and beaten with rods. Yeah, we need a doctor, don't we? Beaten with rods. And they were told to be kept safely, which meant maximum security in a filthy dungeon, painfully chained to a wall. I read one place that to be chained in a Roman dungeon was like they chain you to a wall and spread you as far apart as possible, you know, so it's just really painful. And then there you are in a filthy, smelly dungeon. After you'd been beaten with rods, remind you, beaten with rods. Not a good place to be. But we know the sovereignty of God, right? We know that even in a dungeon, there's not going to be any place or any chain or anything like that, any Roman law that's going to keep God's people or anybody in a place where God doesn't want them to be. There are no circumstances outside his control. Man, do we need to remember this, don't we? We so easily slip into, where's God? Did he forget about me? What's happening? What's going on with Etienne? What's going on? Is he even, you know, we don't see him. Where's his hand? He's still at work. He's sovereign. He's in control. Open doors, closed doors, move people, time frame. So much. So we find them singing and praying. Paul and Silas and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. There's a witness, isn't it? True witness. Why on earth would they be singing and praying? Well, if we just refresh our minds from just what happened like five minutes ago, how God directed them 
no, don't go here, yes, go here, get there on time, meet Lydia. They're seeing that God's hand is directing everything. God's spirit is really with them. So he's with them there too, and he's directing all this stuff. And the joy, knowing that, our joy is not dependent on circumstances, okay? But they are not rejoicing for their circumstances, but they are rejoicing in their circumstances. And this is an old saying, happiness comes from happenings. You can be happy about a certain happening, but once that happening turns negative, I'm not happy anymore. Happy is different than joy. Joy is a commandment. Be joyful in everything, not for the circumstance, but in it, because we know God is there, right? Okay. When I found out Janie wasn't going to be here, <laughs> well, I found out somebody downstairs couldn't be there. They were going to leave. Yeah, no worry, don't worry. And then Janie wasn't going to be there. We went, hey, Stephanie, hey, we got this. And then Stephanie, this is her story to tell, but then she wasn't going to be there. I'm like, oh, okay. Yet? Well, you're here. I can always count on you, Joy. I did get Louise to come. But it was like, okay, we still got this. We got, still got this. But I have to tell you, the one that really got me was when Celia couldn't be here because she was sick. I don't know. That just really undermined me. But I, I had to say to myself, you know what? I can waste a lot of energy bemoaning this and woe is me. That takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? Or I can decide I can't spare to lose any energy today if I got to carry this whole thing on my shoulders, right? I cannot, I have got to be at my best, energetic, positive. So I made a conscious choice to be thankful and joyful and we're going to do this. And then I wake up this morning with my, t- my phone saying that Stephanie was going to be here. So you see, so you, we have to make these choices to remain joyful and thankful no matter what's going on because it's a better mindset to have, okay? We make it a lot worse on ourselves. It's like the problem with sad, miserable Christians are not their circumstances, Truly, it is not their circumstances. The problem is with sad, miserable Christians is their lack of living a spirit-controlled life. Okay? So they're in prison and they're singing and everything. And what's going on? These people, these other prisoners, are, they're listening. They are witnessing. You shall be my witness to the ends of the earth. No matter where you are, people are watching. God has got all things under his control all continents under his control. He's got evil under his control. He's got the natural courses under his clothes. Look what happens here. We have an earthquake. Is that under God's control? Yes. And this earthquake is kind of an interesting thing because coming from California where we actually have earthquakes and feel them, you have them here, but you don't always feel them. It was like, how can this earthquake just take the chains off and not crush them and bury them when they're down in a dungeon, you know, there's just, what, what's going on here? Well, it's God, and he's sovereign, and he's going to just jerk the wall a little bit, just enough so those chains come off and not have the door fall down. So he's, he's, he's sovereign over natural means. When Peter was in prison, how did he get Peter out? An angel, wasn't that amazing? Open, close the door, you know. Um, and he's also 
sovereign over people's hearts. Look what happened here with this jailer in verse 27. When the jailer sees, when he wakes up, because he's probably got his little household like right next to the jail because he was in charge of the jail, this kind of wakes him up. He's jolted awake, and he sees that, oh, my gosh, the doors are open, and he knows, Roman law, that if he loses any prisoner, it's death. We already witnessed that going through Acts. So he did not want to be killed in a torturous way where they were going to be really mad at him and making him example, you don't lose prisoners. So he decides to take himself out instead of going through that. Paul stops him. He says, hey, don't, don't do that in a loud voice. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are all here. Why were they there? Don't really know. I can take a guess, stab at it thinking it's probably they were in a state of shock, <laughs> right? What was going on? They were just witnessed to by watching Paul and Silas singing and praising. And I mean, they were just enamored of what is, what is going on. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Makes you wonder. So they're all there. And it's like the jailer looks around and says, they are all here. Called for the lights to come on, rush in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. What a turn of events. And then he brought them out, out of the jail, and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he tells him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, let what we sang today, and you will be saved. I believe. What a beautiful, I mean, who can do this, right? But God, who's sovereign of all that stuff, um, the biggest miracle was in the jailer's heart. Um, What an amazing, amazing thing. So we praise God for his sovereignty because it does not depend on the circumstances. We just know no, 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 without a, beyond a shadow of, of doubt that God is in charge of this. And he will do what from Romans eight twenty eight, Work all things. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? All things together for those who love God according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? To glorify him, to serve him. All right, so the outcome, he was able to preach. Um, they believed. There was fellowship. Um, brought him into his home, kind of like Lydia. This happened with Lydia. Now it's the Roman uh, jailer. Uh, hospitality, baptized, rejoicing, all from an ugly, stinky dungeon. Um, and it just it was just amazing that this is written down for us to strengthen our belief and trust in the, the sovereignty of God. All right, let's close it out here because we have... I, Hey, there's, what does it say with the ginseng knives? Wait, there's more, right? <laughs> there's more because they try to sneak Paul out of town, right? Just kind of go. Because once they realize what they've done by arresting these people and beating them without a fair trial, they're in big, big trouble. Why did they do it? Mob mentality, maybe? The crowd forced them? They wanted to make, who knows? But they now realize, well, just kind of, Somebody let them know that, you know, what you did, you really broke the law here, you're in trouble. Just kind of let them go and send them on their way, let them go in peace. But Paul says to them, no, no, 
let them come to us, right? Let them walk us out of here. And the police went back and reported that to the magistrates, and the magistrates are like, whoa, 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 we're just, you know, the cover-up's always worse than the crime, they say. So it's like, okay, so the magistrates themselves go down there, and they end up apologizing to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Why do you think Paul did that? One thought is this. Paul is making a statement pretty much on, don't mess with this church here. Don't mess with these people. These Christians, these new believers here that I, you know, I'm living with, I'm, I'm a part of them and everything, you don't mess with them. Because now I got one up on you almost. Right? I don't know if they went so far as to say that. But he did this. He took this action to be able to make sure that this little church was protected from further government harassment. Okay? So Satan's plan through all this, all these attempts to try to frustrate and overrule God is over and over and over again uh, foiled because of the sovereign control of God. If you don't yet, from studying this, truly grasp how we can trust and relax and not have anxiety over stuff. Here's a little thing from uh, Legionnaire Ministries. When we begin to doubt God's goodness and his sovereignty, because when we look around what's going on now, I don't know if we'll ever get back to normal, ladies. I don't know. Anxiety, fear, anger can weaken the confidence of many believers in God, especially their trust in God's sovereignty. Disturbing questions haunt us, like, is God still in control? If he is, does he know what he's doing? Is he as good as he says he is? Where do we turn to strengthen ourselves with this? Well, this author is turning to Isaiah chapter 40. And he brings out God's awesome greatness, God's hand. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Okay, just think about that. Okay, our sovereign God, he has. There are an estimated 332,519,000 cubic miles of water on the planet, yet our sovereign God holds them in the palm of his hand. God's rule. Who has marked off the heavens with a span? A large man's hand span is about eight or nine inches tall. That's how we kind of measure horses by hands, okay? So eight or nine inches isn't very big, can measure, you know, some things like a horse. But God can measure the heavens with just his hand span. The nearest star is four light years away. In other words, it would take four light years to travel there at 186,000 miles an hour. But God measures it, the furthest star, between his thumb and his finger. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? God's cup. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? Can you imagine how much sand there is on the beach? Of course not. We couldn't find a container big enough or strong enough, yet God's kitchen has a measuring cup 
that can hold the sand on every single beach on the world. God's scales. Who has weighed the mountains and scales and the, he- and the hills in a balance? Have you ever tried to pick up a boulder or move a rock or do anything like that? And yet God has no trouble picking that stuff up to weigh it. Who has taught God? What man shows him his counsel, right? No one has told God what to do. No one has taught God anything. I like this one, God's mirror. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compares with him? The God who made man looks at all the man-made gods then looks at himself and says, really? That's the best you've got? There's no competition to, the, to God's human being, people that he's made. God's seat, he sits in a circle above the earth, way beyond, on a stool, far above the horizon. Look at his curtains. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Each night, God easily pulls down the blinds and sets the world to sleep. His telescope. I got a telescope for Christmas. I'm so excited. Finally started clearing up so I can use it. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not missing one. He's got them all numbered. And this author finishes by saying this. God's awesomeness and his sovereignty also encloses his gentleness. Isaiah finishes it by saying this. He paints an awesome picture of God's gentleness. And he introduces them all with an awesome picture of God's gentleness by he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently leads them that are young. He's an awesome, powerful God, but a gentle God that leads us. What a beautiful picture of the God that we serve. So I hope we can remember that he is in control. And we don't always have to understand the reason or what's going on, but we just rest in the knowledge of that and lift our voice with singing and praise. God, help us, almighty God, to remember how great you really are. Thank you for this passage. We love you, Jesus. Amen.